when Becky and I still lived in South Tacoma, I needed a place to exercise. Uh, but we're in the middle of the big town, and, and well, I exercise, by the way, for for many reasons, but thinking and the physical exercise, the walking part, that's the top of the list. I like to take my notes for the next sermon I'm going to do with me so I can look at them while I'm walking. So then I need two things. I need a hill for the exercise, the cardio, and I need a smooth, predictable surface so I don't fall on my face. (laughs) Now, as luck would have it, just a little ways from our house is this hill. It's all of one block long, that's all, but it's real steep. Uh, There's no sidewalk. Then again, there's almost no traffic, so... I could just go up and around and around and around on the hill. I kind of think the neighbors really wondered about me, though. <laughs> now, if I'm going to use it as a workout, though, I need some idea of how many times that I've gone up and down the hill, yes? But, of course, I'm thinking about the text, and, and, I, and I never have any idea how many cycles that I've made. But pretty early I noticed at the bottom of the one side was an overgrown bunch of evergreen bushes with rocks under them. And the rocks were just at the edge or uh, on and sometimes even falling off the curb. So I had this brilliant idea. At first, I'd I'd just use the rocks to keep track. And at first, uh, I would just, every time I came down, I'd take a rock out of the mess there and I'd line it up on the little curb, right? And this is a little embarrassing, but after a while I started to arrange them so the fifth rocks were all bigger than the other rocks. So I could tell. And then pretty soon the tenth rocks were the biggest ones, the fifth rocks were the middle ones, and all the other rocks were little ones. (laughs) So yes, I'm a bit of a nerd, but that's okay. But one runs into problems. What if I don't finish? Becky calls me up and says, Hey, we're late. Get back here. Did I fail in my exercise? I came up short so that some of the rocks aren't with the others. They're still not spaced right. They're all spaced off here by themselves. So next time, do I finish where I left off before I start again? Do I move those errant stones back with the others and just start afresh? And then, oh, one terrible day, I came to my curb and all my rocks were scattered everywhere. Somewhere in the street, not ten feet away, and I couldn't even find some of them. Everything's messed up. It's not fair. I didn't do anything to deserve this. What do you do when someone else kicks all your rocks everywhere? Now, is it the same if I just put them back? Can I just start again? What if they come back and mess everything up again? Well, they're rocks, okay? (laughs) I just put them back where they belong and I started again. But when I don't measure up and leave something undone, do I have to do extra the next time? With the rocks, I simply reset to zero and start afresh. I leave the past behind. Is that what God wants us to do with our lives? But resetting lives, a bit more complicated and fraught with trouble than putting a few rocks back in place. Lives are softer than rocks. (laughs) They get torn up pretty bad sometimes. So how do you get your life in order so that you can start over? Especially if you can't blame someone else. (laughs) 
especially if you knocked your own rocks all over the street. This is where the disciples are now, particularly Peter. True, he believed now. But there were a lot of promises that he had made that he didn't keep. He was ready to die for Jesus. But he denied him and ran away, a failure. He fell far short of his hopes and dreams. Far short of what he should have been, what he should have done. Far short of the life he should have lived. Now, all the other disciples failed as well. But Peter's failure was an open wound, unresolved in his own heart. Now, it's true that things stink when you stir up old garbage (laughs) in your life. But you do have to take the garbage out. And that's what Peter needed to do. But he was powerless to do it. John, in this last pericope, this last story in his gospel, shows how Jesus set Peter up for success as a believer. How he prepares Peter for the work he has to do in the church once the Holy Spirit was given to them. So here's where we are. Peter and John and all the other disciples have seen Jesus. They know without question a few things. Jesus is risen from the dead in his physical form and is fully human, alive again. He is also clearly fully God. He will set up a kingdom to rule this world. They have a part in his plan. And Jesus has told them to go to Galilee and wait for him there. Is this it? Is this the time when he will set up his kingdom? So they go there and wait. And nothing happens. And there's a problem. They have time to think. (laughs) They know they are all woefully unprepared to rule, particularly Peter. The truth is, they don't even know what to rule with him means. And remember, Peter is only days removed from some pretty terrible failure. I'm betting he's beating himself up pretty good. How could I ever measure up to the standard, Jesus said. How could God use me at all? A man who denies when the pressure's on. A man who runs when it gets tough. How is God going to use me? Why would Jesus even want my help? Peter really wants to serve Jesus. But he doesn't believe he can. His rocks are scattered everywhere. And he kicked them there by himself. What chance is there he can do what he wants to do? So, they go to Galilee. And they wait. Is it a week? Is it two? Uh We do know John picks up the story once again at the end of their waiting. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. The Sea of Tiberias is another name for the Sea of Galilee. Now much is made of Peter's decision to go fishing. Well, it was his occupation. Is he saying he wants to go back to that? The easy, the familiar, it's in our blood. 
It's what we've always done. Or maybe he's just trying to get some food on the table. Remember, there are no crowds anymore. No women following Jesus to supply what they need. No Jesus to multiply bread and fish. Not even a little boy to share a lunch with. They're out there all alone. But Jesus does show up at just the right time. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Isn't it curious how Jesus introduces himself with a miracle? Well, or some amazing providential care. And not just any care. The same that three years earlier made Peter recognize Jesus in the first place. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret and he saw two boats on the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Catching men. And Peter is catching fish. Oh, and the lake of Genesaret? That's another name for the Sea of Galilee. They were on the same lake, fishing at the same time, night, getting the same results, nothing. Peter has some time to think while they were waiting. He certainly would have rehearsed this moment over and over in his mind, the time when he first recognized who Jesus was. He must have played over over in his head. Maybe even the end of that long night. Same sea, same time, same result. Remember, all this time he is waiting to see Jesus. And now, Jesus is here. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. (laughs) Can you blame Peter for getting excited? The one that he has been waiting for is here. But it is hard not to laugh at his impetuosity. He completely forgets the other disciples. The great catch of fish is pushed from his mind, and he takes the fastest route to Jesus. And then stands there, wet and out of breath. (laughs) He didn't exactly think this out. (laughs) But then, Peter is more of a doer than a thinker. But as anxious as he is to see Jesus, he is also apprehensive. 
You know, like the child who so wants to see his father but knows he has done some wrong and must face the consequences before their relationship can be restored. And I'm sure what he saw, standing there dripping, must have reminded him of his failures. When he got out, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. A charcoal fire. Where would someone get charcoal in the middle of nowhere? And when is the last time we heard of a charcoal fire? Ah, yeah. When Peter warmed himself by one in the high priest's courtyard as he was denying he even knew Jesus. Let alone followed him. So Peter just stands there while the other disciples row in. But now Jesus does a curious thing. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled a net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Good of Jesus to give Peter, a man of action, something to do. But wait, 153. How long does it take to count with accuracy that many fish? Why do you suppose they took the time? And why would Jesus tell them to bring him fish when he already had fish and bread ready? Maybe to remind them that he is the real source of, of all the need they have. Well, John doesn't say why. But maybe, maybe we can get some hints later on. And why did Peter haul all the fish in when Jesus only said to bring some? <laughs> Was he trying to show off? Again, we aren't told. But, once they've done this almost meaningless task, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Jesus serves breakfast without using anything they supplied. (laughs) He took the bread and gave it to them. Again, like the charcoal fire, when was the last time we heard about bread? How could they not think of that last supper they had had with him when he broke the bread and gave it to them? Or that discussion of his body and how it was broken for them? That may be why they asked nothing. They were awed at his presence and had way too much to think about. I wonder if they could even look at him. Remember, every one of them ran away when he needed them most. I kind of picture them with their heads down, kicking at the sand. (laughs) Uh, I bet this is the quietest meal those guys ever had. (laughs) They thought they understood who Jesus was before. Now, they realize that he really did die for their sins in their place. That he is the only one that exists that could do such a thing. They are awed and not a little ashamed. How could they not have stood for him? Without question, Peter's mind was occupied with just some thoughts. So now Jesus moves from illustrating truth to speaking truth when they had finished breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? These? What does Jesus mean? These? Did he motion with his hands? We don't know. Does he mean, do you love me more than you love these other disciples? Well, probably not. Peter just forgot about them in the boat and left them to do all the work. (laughs) Do you love me more than these fish? That is to say, Peter, are you willing to abandon your livelihood to serve me? Good day. Remember how Peter came to be a disciple of Jesus in the first place? Or could Jesus have meant, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? That's a real possibility. Do you remember the great promise that Peter made? Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? No, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Apparently, this conversation did not happen just once. Mark gives us this record. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. (laughs) They might not love you enough, but I do. Ouch. That really didn't work out, did it? Not only did he fail like them, but actually worse. Where's the love, Peter? Do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? John uses an interesting set of words here. Now, Jesus was almost certainly not speaking in Greek, probably Aramaic, but John wrote in Greek, And he uses the Greek word agape the first two times Jesus asks and phileo the last. And when we read Paul's writings, he makes a clear distinction between those two words. Agape and its variants always concern divine love. Phileo is brotherly love. But John doesn't make that distinction. But still, there must be something here or he he wouldn't have made that change in words. Besides... John uses phileo every time when he translates Peter's word for love. Is Peter finally recognizing his own limitations? Is he saying, I know I can't love you like I should. No more bravado. Just the unvarnished truth. That's certainly possible. But, oh, the most painful part. Jesus asks Three times. This is not happenstance. Peter remembers full well the vigorous debate he had with Jesus, with Jesus' prediction that he would betray him three times. 
And three times he did. Peter could not possibly have missed the connection. And he was grieved. He was beat down as low as he could go. But in his despair, he looks up to Jesus and makes perhaps his greatest confession. He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus, you know my condition. You know my limitations. And then I picture Jesus leaning in, maybe even pointing straight at Peter as he carefully enunciates, feed my sheep. Okay, why is that so important? It's all about how Jesus answers. He answers with an assurance. That's what feed my sheep means. It's not so much a command. Jesus is saying to Peter, you can do what you want to do for me. You will do what you want for me. You will not fail this time. Why would Peter not fail? Because he finally understood that the love he has on his own is not enough. Working in his own strength isn't enough. When Jesus gives him his strength, it is enough. When Jesus supplies the love, it is enough. Remember what Jesus said was the ultimate demonstration of love? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Keep in mind, as you listen to the rest of what Jesus tells Peter, because this conversation makes no sense unless you know that. Jesus said to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Stretch out your hands is a euphemism for die on a cross. That's why Jesus said this, to show the death Peter would die. I wonder if Jesus stretched out his hands. Could Peter see the nail prints? Jesus said this so Peter would know how he would die. Why? Because he is saying, when that time comes, you will stand strong. You won't fail me. You do love me, Peter. And one day you will prove it by dying a horrible death rather than abandon your love for me. No more running away. Peter would follow him now. He would do the work Jesus sent him to do because after this he never stopped loving the one who loved him enough to die for him in his place. Hello. Can you imagine the weight of knowing you will die by crucifixion? All your life wondering, when's it going to happen? <laughs> Remember, Peter said, you, all know, you know all things to Jesus. He believed it. So he really knew that one day he would be crucified. All the rest of his life, he worked to care for Jesus' church. He didn't love fishing and go back to that. He didn't care anymore whether he loved Jesus more than the other guys did. He didn't care that some learned to love Jesus through him. 
He certainly didn't love anyone else more than he loved Jesus. And the strength of Jesus' love carried him through all the way to his cross. And because of that love, he was able to spend his life telling those who would believe about Jesus. Jesus wanted him to know it would cost him his life because in Peter's case, it helped him to focus on the task because he knew the outcome and he was glad for it. Glad for it? Yes! You see, Peter had failed miserably. I will die for you. And he wanted, more than anything, not to fail again. Ever. And this was the ultimate test for him. For anybody. Jesus knew he would make it. In fact, he made Peter a guarantee. You will be faithful to me, Peter. Even to the ultimate test. You won't run away. You will not fail me then. That's a pretty amazing story. But there's one more tidbit we can get from this story, so you know, do you relax thing for a second. Okay, ready? We'll go on. Now John mentioned only three disciples by name at the beginning. Peter, Thomas, and Nathaniel. The sons of Zebedee, but that was he and his brothers. So. But why Peter, Thomas, and Nathaniel? Why those three? He's a very careful writer, and he does nothing by happenstance. So why these three? Actually, it's easy, because they are the three that made the three great confessions. Nathaniel was the first. Now, he's only mentioned twice in John's Gospel, all told. Here and at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in him whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. The Son of God. Nathaniel knew. And he was excited to meet Jesus. And at the end, we well, got yeah, more, more than excited. Peter's great confession was very similar, much later and better known. Here's Matthew's record of it. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say he's Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was so excited then. We've spoken recently of the last most accurate confession. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Curious, isn't it? Nathaniel had studied the scriptures extensively that under the fig tree, there's a bunch there. And he came to faith very easily. Peter was exuberant and bold, but had to fight to reach faith. And Thomas, <laughs> Thomas, he's the one to whom faith was reached only by a very hard road. But all of them reached faith through love. And all three of them were willing to give their lives for him. In fact, anxious to. For there is no greater way in this life to express love. And tradition tells us that all three did give their lives in defense of their faith, rather than deny the love of Christ. So, what about us? 
We have no hope of eternal life without faith. We cannot have faith without love. And all three are supplied by our Lord and our God. Are we ready to make a clear public confession of our faith? Well, what if I fail after that? Maybe like all three of these apostles did. Who is it that guarantees we will be successful for him? No matter how many times we fall, he will pick us up. Even if you can't get all your little rocks back in place, someone can. The love is still there. And if your little rocks get strewn all over the street, it doesn't matter. Even if you kick them there yourself. Because it isn't about you supplying enough love. It isn't about you earning God's love. It's true. There is nothing you can do to earn God's love. It's all about the Father drawing you in love to the Son who died in your place for your sins because of His love so that the Holy Spirit can baptize you into His church, the vessel of His love, so that you too can love so much that you can do His work, no matter what the cause. Jesus stands before you. Now, do you love me more than these? These. You know why the Holy Spirit didn't drive John to tell us what these was? Well, maybe because these is different for each one of us. Is it a person in your life you need to give up for him? Is it a person you need to love for him? <laughs> is it a way you live your life or don't? Is it something, some job, some place, some... Jesus is standing before you now, looking deep into your soul. Do you love me? Will you now say, yes, I love you more than anyone or anything? You can. If you will rest in his love, not your own, his love. Father, The thought of Peter standing there as Jesus looks at him, I'm sure running through Peter's mind at that moment was, oh man, what am I going to say? And Jesus asked him, do you love me? just wonder what Peter, what Peter thought, what was, on, what was on his mind. What is, did he wonder? What a question. I love you. Three times. Three times and Peter got it. Ah, am I going to run away again? Is that what you're saying to me? Hmm. Then Jesus assured him, you're not. You're not going to run away. Because I'm here now. And I'm going to help you. Lord, I guess that's not a direct promise to us, but there's enough other words in your scriptures that we know you will always be with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. No matter how dark it looks, you're really there. And all we have, we can set aside. Because we know that what you have for us 
is far superior. And one day we'll see it. For now, Lord, help us to express the love you have for us. Help us to share it somehow with other people. To feed the sheep. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.